Well, again, good morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it to open it up to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning in verse 56 this morning. So, if you remember last week, we saw a, a very young uh, Mary in her first trimester carrying baby Jesus. Uh, and she visited her much, much, much older, uh, what, advanced in age, I think it was, uh, Elizabeth, uh, her cousin, who was just beginning her third trimester uh, of her long-hoped-for and unexpected pregnancy. Uh, so we're going to be reading our, our passage in two parts today. We'll read one to start with, uh, and, and then we're going to uh, come back later to the prophecy that actual just um, that, that his father just burst out with uh, during the, the middle of this. So uh, if you've got your Bible, follow along, beginning in verse 56 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, all their neighbors. And all of these were, were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you enlighten our minds this morning? For we desire more than to merely understand these words. We desire for these words to be living and active in our hearts. We desire to understand your tender mercy to us in the gospel. We, We desire to know the fullness of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So Elizabeth gives birth. The neighbors nearby, nearby hear about that, that she had her child. And then eight days later, they just show up at her house. But why? Why, why then? Why did they show up like this? And the answer to, to both those questions is that um, all of these neighbors they're talking about, these, these are their Jewish neighbors. And so they understood the instruction given in Leviticus 12.3, which, which states this. It says, on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. So they show up there on the eighth day. You see, like, like baptism today, circumcision in the Old Testament was the sacrament that marked the, a person's entrance into the covenant community. And, and so then Zechariah and Elizabeth, by, by faith, present their son so that their son can receive the, the sign of the covenant. And all their neighbors then show up. All these neighbors who share faith with them show up and they welcome this child into fellowship with God's people. Verse 58 tells us that these brothers and sisters uh, in the faith that they rejoiced with her. They didn't just show up, but they rejoiced with her. See, not only does this fulfill the, the words spoken to the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.14. If you have your Bibles, you can look back there real quick. You remember it says that, that many will rejoice at his birth. But it's also a, a model of what covenant community can look like, should look like. 
We're to come alongside one another, not only in times of someone's pain, in times of someone's need, but, but we're to come alongside one another to celebrate the goodness of God in the life of one of our brothers or sisters in Christ. That, that's the kind of community we're talking about. And, and so then, you know, mo- moving onward in our, our passage here, so then it's not prescribed in the scriptures, but apparently the custom at the time was that you named this child uh, on the day that the child received the covenant sign, the circumcision. I, I can see how exciting that practice would be. If, if after the covenant baptism last week, the, if, if the Langers, uh, or maybe just before, because we're going to need her name, if they had told us, and her name's going to be Eleanor. What, what an exciting thing that would be, an exciting practice to do. If any of you ever want to do that, let me know later on. We have biblical precedent here. Uh, <laughs> so that's what Elizabeth does here, though, right? She, you know, but, but, but they expect that she's going to name it according to the custom that they practice at this time. And that means they think they're going to name this child, the son, after the father. That that's, was the custom, the firstborn son. And, and Elizabeth says emphatically, no. He shall be called John. They, they, they all then question her choice of name, don't they? Isn't that the case in just about every culture of every time period? I mean, how, how many of you have ever shared your baby's name with someone only to hear their opinion about the name you've chosen? Most of you, right? Uh, so, you know, we're, we're going to name her Karen. And someone's, oh no, don't do that. I went to school with a Karen. She has a mouth like a sailor. You don't want to do that. Or, or maybe, you know, uh, we're going to name her Hannah. That was one of our names. And I, I can remember saying, but won't people call her Hannah Banana? Thought, well, not if they're decent. Nobody she wants to be friends with will. Uh, but, you know, everyone's always given their opinion. Sometimes people really could use some feedback on the names that they have. We had a, a nurse once share with us uh, that a woman named her daughter uh, because she thought it was so beautiful sounding. She named her daughter Chlamydia. It's something else. Uh, the nurse didn't tell her what the name actually meant. I expect this poor child has gone through most of her life having to explain that, or hopefully she had a good middle name to go on. Uh, and in this case, though, in the case of the neighbors here, the, the neighbors are objecting to Elizabeth's naming their, their son, John. And, and so they decide, let's go appeal to the father. Maybe he'll be more reasonable. They, they go and they talk to Zechariah. And remember, he still can't speak. He still can't hear. He can't really engage with them. And, and so he grabs what, what I guess is like an early model iPad. Uh, it's a, a tablet. Really what it is, though, it's a piece of wood that's coated in this thick wax so that they could write on this, on this is what it was. It really was, I guess, an early version of it. Uh, and, and he's no less emphatic than his wife Elizabeth was. He writes, John is his name. Right? Not maybe John. We're thinking John. What do you think of John. John is his name. Uh, And there's some interesting things going on with the names that we see in this entire family. Uh, Elizabeth means God is faithful. That's his mother. Zechariah means God remembers. And and, and we're going to see when we get to the next portion, when we see the words of Zechariah's prophecy, that just the way that God is faithful to remember his covenant with Abraham. And you see those words, those names coming together. And and do you remember what we learned John means last week? Or was it the week before? Um, John means God is gracious. God is gracious. 
And, and so here is this child, and instead of being named for his, for his family, and instead of being named in, in, in that regards, um, he, he's going to be named John. And, and, and it's going to, uh, in this next section, when Zechariah speaks, he's going to basically be unpacking the way that God has been gracious to his people. See, at, at this point, though, Zechariah can finally once again speak. You can imagine after all that time of being mute and unable to hear that now, what an amazing moment this would be. And, and we see what's the first thing he does with his voice when he can speak. Verse 64 tells us there. It says he blesses God. He blesses God. And the next thing we learn is, is that these rejoicing neighbors ha- have become filled with fear. And you're kind of wondering what's, what's up with that, right? I'll say growing up, our, our neighbors were afraid of us. They were filled with fear often as well. I was the youngest of, of three boys, and we ran around the, uh, the area. We had these Rambo knives that were huge. We had BB guns, slingshots. Occasionally, we'd wander out of the house with a 22 to go hunt squirrels. Um, and, and, and don't imagine that I'm saying some backwoods Texas town. This was a Houston suburb that I'm talking about. It's a miracle we didn't end up in jail, or our parents at least. Now, 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 the fear that Zechariah's neighbors are, are experiencing here is, is quite different. It's not that kind of fear like our neighbors might hurt us. Uh, you, you just think for a minute the things they've just observed that have unfolded in front of them. They, they think they're going to a simple uh, sacrament ceremony kind of thing going on. And, and, and here's what they observe. The, the priest, Zechariah, who hasn't been able to talk to them for nine months... So suddenly this mute man is not only speaking, but he's actually prophesying in this way that they've never heard him speak before. They've probably never heard anyone speak in this way before. You, you can imagine that as the neighbors leave that gathering, right? Uh, you've probably done this yourself with your spouse, but, but they're leaving and they get out of hearing distance. And one of them says to the other, you know, well, that was crazy. What did we just witness? What just happened? You, you see, they're afraid because something is very peculiar about this child. There's something very peculiar about his birth and the way things are going here. And, and they understand it. They see it that God is involved in this somehow. They understand the hand of the Lord is with them. They understand God's doing something. Something that they've actually been waiting for their entire life. And yet it's terrifying to see it actually starting to come true. And so that part of the story ends with, with the neighbor's fear, Right? But the author, our, our author Luke here, he, he records the actual words from Zechariah's mouth. The, the words that the neighbors heard, the, the, the words of blessing God as he's carried along, uh, filled by the Holy Spirit. And when he speaks, it's, it's this one single run-on Greek sentence. It's, it's insane. It's over 200 words of one sentence. In the English, it's not much better. It's, it's two sentences. We, we tried to bring some order to it, right? Um, and so this prophecy that we're, we're about to read here, this is traditionally called the Benedictus. That's a, a Latin word that means blessed. You can see in your, your, your passage there that it's the very first word out of Zechariah's mouth. It's also where we get the word for, for the last portion of our liturgy. I don't know if you've noticed, when you get to the end of our, our bulletin, it's called the Benediction. It means to speak a blessing, and, and that's what we do at the end of the service, is this, this benediction. We speak a blessing from God's word over God's people. And, and the idea is that this word is going out. That's why you, you may see the people next to you holding out their hands like this. If you're not used to that, don't be weirded out. They're not hoping we're going to throw t-shirts or anything like that. They're just participating in worship, and it's this posture of, of I want to receive the blessing of the Lord. I, I want to receive this word of blessing on me. So 
so anyway, we're, we're going to read this. Uh, follow along. Just, you can just listen if you want, uh, or you can follow along with, you, uh, with me, starting in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And so we saw in, in Mary's speech last week, and we see it again today for these people, there's this absolute sense of wonder of what's going on. And you kind of have to get yourself into their mindset to understand it. You see, it, it, they're, they're thinking to themselves at this moment, everything we've learned from our parents, from our grandparents, the things that we, we learned about in the synagogue when they would read the Holy Scriptures to us, all the promises of the covenant, all those things are finally really happening. But, but you and I, as we read this today, you see, we know too little about the Old Testament and we know too much about how this story ends. And, and in a lot of ways, that ruins the wonder for us. We're, we're not wondering at this point or, you know, when or if these promises of God are going to happen because we know they already did happen in Christ. See, for, for us, we're not looking at it and saying a, a Messiah is coming because Jesus already did come. God isn't going to set his people free because God already did set his people free. But for Mary, for Elizabeth, for Zechariah, for all these neighbors who show up for, from the hill country, they, they're experiencing the first coming of Christ like we might experience the second coming of Christ if, if it began happening right now. Right? We've been hearing about this. If you're older, you've been hearing it for most of your life. And you can imagine if you start seeing this come true, the, the feeling of, wow, wow, th this is really happening. It's really happening. That, that's the mindset they're in. That's what's <clears throat> going through their minds as they listen to these words <clears throat> that we've just read. And, and as we walk through this, I, I want you to see the, the fullness of the gospel here, okay? What, what I mean is that we live in this unique era in church history where um, we, we've done that American thing where we part the gospel down to the most bare facts we possibly can so that we can, we can say it in just one little phrase, right? A Twitter-like almost sense. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's the gospel. And it is. And it's gloriously true. But, but that's also like a two-dimensional drawing of, of a three-dimensional object. There is more depth and detail to the blessings that we receive in the gospel. 
And so this portion then begins saying this. I, I hope we're going to see those depths. Uh, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Like Mary before Zechariah is speaking in this past sense with an absolute certainty of a future event that's yet to happen. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, to say that God had visited his people meant something. It, it, it was to say a way of saying that God has seen our need. He's aware of what we need. He has seen our affliction, and he's going to fix it. He's working to fix it. And this prophecy means all of that, but it takes it even further. It's about God clothing himself in flesh and visiting his people in the affliction of their sin. These people couldn't ever have imagined that even. That's why there in verse 68, we see God not only visited, but also redeemed his people. You see, redemption is a very specific term uh, that, that means a prisoner is released because a payment has been, pay, uh, has been made for them. It's the same idea as a, a ransom. And when we get to the end of Luke, we're going to see that there was a payment made. You, most of you know the answer already, that, that the payment's going to be the blood of Christ. But, but for now, let's, let's keep moving here. Look at verse 30, uh, 69. It says, God raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Again, this is, this is Old Testament imagery. It's a, the idea of a, a horn being raised up, it's just a picture of a, an animal. The might, the strength of an animal was, was in its horn. That's the dangerous thing. You, you cut it off and it becomes uh, incredibly less dangerous in a lot of ways. So, you know, think of a bull, think of an ox, uh, maybe even the antlers on, a, on a, a white-tailed buck that we see around here. That's the idea that this is the, the strength. And we're seeing that Jesus is the fulfillment. It's the fulfillment of um, Psalm 132, 17, which tells us where, where God speaks and he says, I will make a horn to sprout, sprout for David. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is a, a descendant of Christ. We've already seen that. Jesus is also the maker of salvation. The next few verses reveal what the Lord Jesus will accomplish for his people. We see he will save us from our enemies, that he'll show mercy, promise to our fathers. And then in verse 32, it says, God's going to remember his holy covenant. Now, don't, don't hear that. Don't think of that and think of it in the sense that we tend to use that word like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. That, that's not what it really means here when it says remember. God didn't totally forget. But, but remember in the sense that, that he's still working to, to fulfill this. It's still in process. He never forgot it. You know, like a, like a husband doesn't, doesn't remember his marriage vows by waking up, you know, looking over and thinking, who is this woman? Oh, yeah. I'm married to her. I made vows. What were those vows? You know, that's not the way he remembers this. A husband remembers his vows by keeping them, by fulfilling them. But never walking away from the vows he's made, by, by doing what he promised. Uh, this is how, I, how I'm going to love and cherish her. And so on. The covenant that God is remembering is the one he made with Abraham. You can see it, it reiterated in Genesis 12 and 17 and 22. It's this covenant to, to bless Abraham, to multiply his descendants, to, to bless the nations of the earth through him and through his descendants, but, but also to defeat their enemies. That's part of it. And when we see in verse 74 here that he'll deliver his people from the hand of their enemies. And, and do you also see in verse 74 there that there's a reason that God is going to deliver his people from their enemies? Yet that's not the end of it, right? There's a reason. What's it say there? Verse 74, it says to serve him, to serve God without fear. 
We'll come back to that. But first, who are these enemies? Who are the enemies He's going to deliver us from? As Jesus' ministry goes on, we begin to see that the, the Pharisees and the hypocritical religious elite are, are set up as enemies. In the mind of the Jewish people, when Zechariah is actually speaking this, that the main enemy that they saw was the Roman Empire. Because they had been oppressing the Jews, uh, the Jewish people, for a long time. And so the Jews, as they saw this idea of being delivered from their enemy, the first thing that comes to mind is, we're going to be set free from Rome. Rome's going to be defeated. We're going to have some military might. We're going to run them over. And, And that sounds amazing, but God actually has bigger plans than that. Now, I'm sure we all have our own list of our, our personal enemies, too. But, but one of John's responsibilities we begin to see here, and we're going to see it as we see the ministry of John, is, is to prepare the way for the Lord, to, to show them, in, in a lot of regards, who the true enemy is. Because you're looking in the wrong place. Let, let me list a, a few of the enemies that, that John later, you know, uh, John's later call to repentance helps God's people see. The, the, the first one in a sense, is God. I know that sounds incredibly weird. But in Romans 5.10, 5.10 tells us that, but before Jesus reconciles us to God, we are enemies of God. I think we forget this as, as Christians sometimes, but it's not Satan's wrath that, that we're being delivered from. It's the wrath of God and, and, and the judgment of God. That's, that's what the gospel delivers us from. And so I I say that only in a sense because God's not going to defeat God, but God's going to deal with our enemies by making reconciliation there. The the rest of these are are true enemies. Uh, Another enemy is is death. 1 Corinthians 15.2 reads, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When we are in Christ, the, the reality is we might find ourselves fearful about the mystery, the unknownness of death, but, but never death itself, never the consequences of death, because God has conquered death and secured eternal life for us. That's an enemy the Lord is going to defeat. Now, I won't give you a comprehensive list. Let me just give you one more uh, enemy. It's the one that's probably most obvious. Sin. R- Romans 6, actually throughout Romans 6, uh, we, we read that, Apart from Jesus, we are slaves to sin. Sin is our enemy, and the Lord Jesus sets us free so that we no longer need to fear sin. For sin is no longer our master, and we are no longer sin's slave. Now, before we go further, I do want to revisit the reason that's highly significant, hugely significant there, that God delivers us from our enemy, as it says in verse 74, to serve God without fear. That's nothing new. That, that's about restoration. It, it harkens back to, to Eden. It harkens back to before the first sin. Because you remember, Adam and Eve weren't, weren't in the garden on some beach sipping pina coladas all day. If you think back to the garden, one of the things we know they were doing is they were serving the Lord by, by tending the garden. I know it's bizarre to us, but, but work was part of God's good design before sin entered the world. And so we, we see this call for God's people here to, to serve him. And, and, it, and it continues throughout the Old Testament. That's also part of God's call. 
We, we see it in the New Testament. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul explains <clears throat> that the Thessalonians have been coming to faith in Christ. And he's so excited about them. And he explains it this way in this letter he's writing. He says, They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Right? See, we're, we're set free from the fear of oppressive governments. We're set free, free, uh, free from the fear of God's wrath, set free from sin, set free from death, so that we might joyfully serve the Lord. Which raises the question, what's it look like? What, what, what's it mean to serve God? Right? Do, do I need to get community hours or something like that? Where do I need to go and do this? I, I, I missed this at first, if I'm honest. Uh, and when I first read the passage this week, and then it hit me later on, uh, this idea that when, I, when people ask me about Manhattan Prez out, out and about in the community, they, they eventually get to this one question, almost always. They ask this question, so what time is your, what's the word? Service. What, what time is your service? You see, to, to serve is to worship the Lord, and to worship the Lord is to serve the Lord. They're, they're nearly synonymous. I mean, how many times did God rebuke Israel for worshiping uh, uh, other idols and use the word serving there? I'll give you Jeremiah 13.10 for an example. It says this. It says, This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own hearts, and have gone after other gods, listen to this, to serve them and to worship them. So a right response to the gospel, to, to God setting us free, is, is to serve God, to worship God. Not to earn anything from God, but simply because that's the way that a heart redeemed, a heart set free, responds. Which means God's purpose in redeeming us isn't just, so, so, we'll, so we'll wander through life then, you know, searching for some personal purpose. Searching for some fulfillment. No, that, that we might do a million different things uh, along the way, right? Whether we're talking being an entrepreneur or being a farmer. Whether we're talking about performing on a stage or, or cross-stitching, mothering our children or entering a bridge or, or helping those with PTSD. But, but all of those things are, are not our calling. They're how we fulfill our calling to serve and worship the Lord. And that's a huge distinction. Because Jesus changes everything. And joyous service to God is a telltale sign that the Father has redeemed our hearts and imparted us with the Holy Spirit. So verse 75 there adds to that, that we do so in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. That phrase, all of our days, that's, that's a lifetime. That's what it means. So let me, let me just ask you, how do you define a, a life well lived? I mean, really, at some point you kind of think, what do I want to accomplish in my life? How do I know if I've lived it well? I mean, is it, is it making it to the top of whatever career path you're, you're pursuing? Is, is that a life well lived? Is it pursuing love, and marriage, and family, children? Is, is that a life well lived? Is it maybe, uh, maybe some of you in college, the idea of a, I, I've double, you know, I double majored in something that is so impressive. Is, is that success and a life well lived? Some of us are just, you know, simple, right? A, a nice house, great vacations, and early retirements. That's a life well lived. Well, what is a life well lived? I'm telling you that God defines it here as serving Him without fear. 
pursuing him in holiness and righteousness. In a day-to-day practical sense, what this means is that we seek to glorify God in our worship, just like you're doing today, but also in everything we do in life. We, we, we seek to live holy lives. As it, it, that's, that's one of the ways that we, we seek to glorify and worship and serve the Lord. In, in how we, we speak and in, in how we repent in our failures. And even how we rest in the gospel because we believe that Jesus is actually sufficient. Christian, that's a life well lived. Which is why so many random variables can happen in your life that throw you off the path you thought you were on, and yet you can live a life that is well lived by serving and worshiping the Lord. So beginning in verse 76, moving on, Zechariah's prophecy turns to his son, right? He, he turns to John. You can almost picture the, he's talking to the people, and suddenly he turns to his son at this moment, and he says, And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord and prepare his, to prepare his ways. I mean, how exciting that the Lord gives him this prophecy and his own son's involved in it. If John's going to be the forerunner, and this is why it's so incredibly exciting, because if John is going to be the forerunner, then all those people hearing this at the first, at the first reading of their first spoken of this, must be absolutely sure that means the Savior, that means the Messiah is coming right behind him. Our, our son's been doing cross-country this fall, first time we've ever done this. And, and as they run the, the course, there's this golf cart that goes before them, before whoever's in the front. And, and so you can see this golf cart will come around the bend, and you know immediately, okay, the runners are behind them. Uh, they're going to be here any moment. That, that golf cart you know, is, is, is the forerunner. The whole point of the golf cart is to prepare the way of the runners, to prepare those uh, and also those who are waiting for the runners. It's to move the spectators off of the, uh, off of the course and to get their attention, pay attention, they're coming, look what's happening here. In the case of John the Baptist, uh, we see starting in verse 77 that he's going to prepare the way by giving knowledge of salvation. More specifically, for the forgiveness of sins, right? Because they're looking for some military deliverance. And he's going to say, no, let's, let's draw your attention back to what's really happening here. It's much bigger. It's much better. That's why John's going to have this ministry of calling people to repentance so that they can move beyond seeing just political enemies. They, they just, like I said, dream bigger than political independence, beyond military strength, beyond a better economy and a freedom to do whatever they want. Maybe we need to dream beyond that too. Right? Our, our culture has that phrase, the American dream, and maybe we need to dream beyond that. No, we definitely do. To, to see with clearer eyes what a, what a life well lived is, to, to look beyond our current life frustration, to see what it means to be set free so that we can serve the Lord by how we worship Him, not, not just on Sunday morning, but with all of our lives. And in verse 78 here, we, we learn that this is all because, listen to how wonderfully this is phrased, all because of the tender mercy of our God. Tender mercy. There's that qualifier there in the Greek. It's actually two words there. The, the first one is just this heart-wrenching emotion, and the second one is the word mercy, is how you get that tender mercy. And then we also see this, this image of a, a sunrise visiting us from on high, uh, sunrise is from the Greek word Anatole, which in the Old English was translated day spring. You ever heard that word day spring? 
I hope so, because we sang it in the last song we sang. Come now, long expected Jesus. It's a Christmas song. It's about the birth of Christ. Uh, it's hard to find songs about the birth of John the Baptist. They don't exist. Um, but we sang that line, day spring from on high up here. That's, that's Jesus right there. We, we, see, listen, we, we, we can't go to God. This is one of the amazing things about the incarnation. We, we can't go to God, but that's okay because God in his tender mercy has come to us. Think about human history for a moment. Now, in our pride, we, we tried to build our way up to God, Tower of Babel, and failed. But in the incarnation and humility, God comes down to us and he succeeds. That's what we're seeing here. Jesus is the sunrise. And as uh, verse 79 states, Jesus comes to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Sitting in the shadow and in darkness. That that is a picture of despair, of apathy, of of meaninglessness, of hopelessness in, in the human soul. The reality is, is they, like we, are in darkness until Jesus pierces the darkness. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, and just as the light from a, a lamp as you're walking in darkness or a flashlight uh, uh, guides our feet onto the proper path, so the light of Christ guides our feet into the way of peace. Peace with God, not just this nebulous peace. See, the, the, the Hebrew word for peace is, is, is shalom. I don't know, you stare at it all the time, right in the middle of that, that dove right in front of you. That, that's the Hebrew word written there, shalom, meaning peace. And it's not just peace as in the absence of war, the absence of conflict, but peace from God. As, as Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So then the scene here fades out with those words in verse 80. Those words uh, saying of John the child, and, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. This is also the last time we're ever going to hear anything about Zechariah or anything from Zechariah. And yet the story of God will continue on. The next thing we're going to see, the next thing next week, is the birth of Jesus. And I, I hope you've seen in this passage then that the gospel is, is much more comprehensive than, than a mere pared down version of a few facts. I hope you see the fullness of it. That it's God visiting his people. It's his saving us from our enemies. It's fulfilling ancient promises made in covenant to Abraham. It's setting us free so that we can serve God without fear. It's forgiving our sins, it's sharing, it's shining as light into, into our darkness, it's guiding us in the path uh, of life into peace, it's tender mercy from the hand of the Lord God Almighty, it's abundance of grace, that as God gives us not only spiritual gifts, as God gives us not only the forgiveness of sin, and not only a heavenly family, but, but God gives us himself, that, that's what God is working here. That's the glorious thing that we come here and we worship the Lord for. It's why our hearts have been set free to, to, to worship Him. And so in a moment when we, when we stand up and sing, I know that that's a gift of the Lord. 
Because Christ has come, you've been set free from all your enemies to worship the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father of tender mercy, you made promises long before any of the people in our passage were even born. And despite many generations who lived and died, you fulfilled these promises. Lord, thank you for remembering your covenant. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for freeing us from the shackles of sin so that we may serve you joyfully all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.